is why we're here today, and, and we standing before you in your presence, surrender all that we are to you, God, in humility, just say that we do not want to be for our own glory, we want to be for your glory, God, I pray that um, as we hear what your word says today, I pray that we would just be uh, pierced to the heart, um, that we would check our hearts, that you would test our hearts, um, God, that you would find our motives pure, um, God, we, we exist to have relationship with you and to bring you glory. Um, and God, you are perfect and you are holy, and yet you saw fit to send your son Jesus so that we could have relationship with you in our imperfectness, have a relationship with a perfect God, and through Jesus you have made us perfect. And that's humbling uh, because we didn't deserve it, but you stuck with us and you loved us enough to do that. And so, God, we just sit here. We stand here. We stand here in the confidence that salvation in Jesus brings. That we are eternally bound for heaven. And so all of our earthly, earthly hurts and pain and shame and, and guilt, God, can be done away with. Because we are free in Jesus. So, God, meet us here. We are here as we are. I pray that you and your spirit would change us today. We're here to worship. We are here to worship. We are here to worship a perfect and almighty God. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. How are you? You good? Nobody? No. Okay. You're good. Awesome. Love it. Um, first of all, I want to say thank you to everyone who uh, participated in the Fill the Bus campaign. Um, that was a bus, an actual school bus that showed up here on Thursday, um, and it was filled with all the stuff that you uh, brought to church to send to Emmanuel Mission. And I can tell you this, they stopped at one place before us, and the bus was already a third full, right? And after us, it was halfway full, and they had six more stops to make. And then they had to go all the way down to Arizona, all right? So that is a good thing. So thank you for doing that. It was highly successful. Um, they were very thankful for that. The next thing I want to tell you about is something that we do every year. Uh, the church that was in here before Creekside, Olivet, did this, and we um, decided we want to continue this. But every year, we send uh, a team to Haiti, led by Bob Vaughn. Bob, raise your hand so everybody can see you. That's Bob right back there. Okay? Uh, you're going to need to know who he is if you ever want to be involved in this trip. I can tell you this. Um, there's a lot of projects that we have going on down there, school projects, house building projects, uh, a lot of good things uh, going on down there. But I've never been to Haiti, and one of these days I want to go. But I can tell you this, I've been on missions trips before, and anyone who else who has been on missions trips, and Bob would agree with this, that a lot of times we go on a missions trip to go bless somebody else, to go teach somebody else, to go help somebody else less fortunate. But when you go on a trip, you actually become the one who is blessed, you become the one who learns, and you become the one who is changed by God, by the experience, right? Everybody raise your hand if you've been on a short-term missions trip before. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, you're blessed, and you're changed, and God uses the experience to change you. So this year's trip is November 9th through 18th. If you, if you just at this moment think, man, that would be cool to even think about going, uh, come talk to me or talk to Bob, and we'll get you more information about that. You'll be hearing more about our Haiti trip uh, coming up soon. 
I want to encourage you as you occupy your street, uh, you, you're going to hear that a lot, and it, it sounds like a broken record on purpose, because uh, we need to hold on to this concept of occupying our street with the gospel. Your street is not just where you live, it's everywhere that you go all the time, all the people that you run into. Our job, our mission for Jesus is to occupy that part of our life, which is our whole life, with the love of Jesus, which is the gospel. And let me tell you this. Be encouraged not to lose sight of the mission. So often things come into life to distract from the mission, and we easily get sidetracked. It can be a change in life, relationships, frustration, boredom, exhaustion, whatever it is. This is why God calls us in Romans to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I'm telling you, that renewing does not just happen. It does happen. You are changed, eternally changed inside. You receive the Holy Spirit when you come to Jesus for salvation. But that renewing that he's talking about in Romans is an all-the-time regular spending time yoked to Jesus, learning from him in his presence, loving on him, being loved by him, and being encouraged by the Spirit of God to go out and to fight the good fight, right? Because we so easily get discouraged, we need to be built back up. And the only person that we can, be, that we can count on to do that on a daily basis is God himself. And so we have got to be planted in the word in order to occupy our street. We've got to be planted in prayer. We've got to be spending time learning from Jesus and just in his presence. All right, I want to pray for us before we get into this message, um, just that God would speak to our hearts. So just in these moments, I just ask that you quiet your hearts. Whatever's going on in life, just ask God to meet you here and to speak to your heart. Because the Bible says itself that this is a living and active book, right? It is able to speak to every situation in your life. And uh, I had somebody ask me one time, how can you, how can you read the Bible um, like I was, I had to read this whole thing at, at Bible school, um, but I read it a few times and every single time I read it, it seems new. Some parts are boring. Yes, we acknowledge that, but it seems new because it's living and active and because God wants to continually change me. So that's what I want you to pray as I pray for you and for myself that God would teach us from his word. So let's pray together. Father, we just uh, we, we sit now in your presence to learn from you. And uh, God, I just pray that you would humble my heart, that you would humble our hearts um, to know, God, that all truth comes from you, all knowledge comes from you, and the ability to live that out comes from you and your spirit. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to not think that we have the answers, to not think that we are above this, this, uh, this lesson today, God, but that you would just pierce our hearts, that you would change us. We come as we are, but we believe when we meet with you, you change us. The Spirit of God changes people's hearts. And so we just submit to you this morning, God. We surrender to you. Um, open our hearts to learn and be yoked to Jesus this morning. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So my wife, she's not here to defend herself this morning, uh, so I could say whatever I want in these moments. Um, whatever story you hear from her on this topic, mine's right, all right? So she is 
she, she's a year and a month older than me, right? But for like a month, she's by number two years older than me, right? So she's born on December 31st, and I'm born on February 2nd. And she does a really good job holding that over my head. Like for that month of January, every single year, like I'll do something wrong, and she'll be like, listen, I'm older than you. I'll be like, you're a year older than me. No, I'm two years older than you. No, you're a year and a month older than me. Get it right, all right? She will hold that over her head until she realizes that the number has nothing to do with actual maturity level, right? She, got, she found that out quickly after we got married. Anyway, Heather and I went to college together. That's where we met. And my entire freshman year, I had a crush on her, and the entire school knew it. Everybody knew it. I don't really hide those things really well. She was an RA. She was athletic. She's a leader. She loved Jesus. Of course, I was attracted to her. And uh, obviously, they say opposites attract. Um, but anyway, I had a crush on her. Her on me, not so much, right? I mean, there's no way. I, this is, she'll admit this. She'll admit this. She's not perfect. My wife's not perfect. I'm a little less perfect. Um, but she'll admit there was no way that she was going to fall for somebody two years younger than her. It's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not falling for a guy that's two years younger than me and a year behind me in school. Right? But I asked her out at least six times. I'm telling you, at least six times. That She's narrowed that number down to six from a lot more because of my heart just broken. It felt like so much more. I'm telling you. I mean, it was just simple things like coffee, ice cream, I just want to get to know you. But here was her typical answer. It wasn't even like, uh, it wasn't even like no, I'm not ready for a relationship right now. Um, she didn't even say, yeah, you're cute, but I just, I'm too, I'm too uh, into my schoolwork. And it was just, no, no, like, no reason even, like, just leave me hanging. I mean, I was, I, w- I spent most of my freshman year at school depressed um, because this woman would not. But eventually, I picked up the clue phone, and I thought, I gotta, just got to stop asking. This is just too desperate, and I'm too proud to be that desperate. But I stopped asking after a while, but I thought, I'm just going to infiltrate her group of friends. Like, if I, if I infiltrate her group of friends and she still wants to have this group of friends, then she's going to have no choice but to hang out with me, right? And so I infiltrated her group of friends. Now, I can tell you this. I did get her to say yes to me once my freshman year because there's this thing at Emmaus. I, have, I really don't know what it's called at, at normal colleges. Emmaus is a normal college, but it's really not. Um, and so we have a Christmas banquet, right, whatever that would be at a university I don't know, but uh, I asked her in a public way, because if you ask somebody in a public way, like in front of people, if she says no, who's the bad guy? Her, right? So I, I, I get to be the victim, she gets to be the bad guy, and so I asked in public, there, she had no choice if she still wanted to maintain her, uh, her status, um, she had to say yes, so she said yes, and as a matter of fact, that's how I did it when I asked her to marry me too, because I was not taking any chances, all right? I did it even, even more public. It was like 2,000 people were present at that one because I was not leaving that one up to chance. Anyway, uh, my tactics to get her attention were something like this. So we would be hanging out. Um, we were both RAs my, uh, my second year. At the beginning of the year, I was still in this struggle. Like my, over, the, over the summer um, before my sophomore year, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, I emailed her every single day. And I got like maybe two back. Like, oh, it's good to hear from you. 
Nothing. I mean, nothing. So I, had to, I went back to school, and I thought, this is the year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this. So we would be hanging out with our group of friends that I had infiltrated. And, uh, and I would just wait for a lull in the conversation for the opportune moment to just get up and leave. Like, just get up and walk away. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm leaving. I'm gonna, this is how desperate I was. I'm not going to tell anybody I'm leaving. I'm just going to get up and leave. And I'm going to go wait by the phone in my room. Because we didn't have cell phones back then. There was no texting, none of that stuff. So I go up and wait by the phone in my room. And I did this several times. And finally, finally, she called me after I did that. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, nothing's wrong. I just won this battle. I got you to call me. I got you to pay attention to me. Like something. I won, right? And I, li- I really won because she's now my wife. Um, I was good. I was fine. But I, I played her little game. All I wanted was for her to place me in a place of priority on her pay attention to list. I wanted status in this woman's life. I wanted to be known. I wanted, to, I wanted her to look at me and say that I had status. Now, my tactics were not, uh, they were desperate. They weren't that gracious. They weren't, they, they, I don't know if they're good or not. I mean, it's kind of swindling a little bit, I guess. It's not the best illustration for today's topic, but today we're going to talk about how Christians live a life done in publicly, how our our actions in public are not always in and of themselves bad, but they're done with the wrong motives if we're after the wrong result, right? Because me getting up and leaving, that wasn't wrong. It was kind of stupid, but it wasn't wrong, right? I might have missed out on the fun. I was desperate for her to place me on a pedestal of priority, and so I acted in a certain way to get a certain status in her life. So, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be in verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 8. Matthew, again, is three-quarters of the way through your Bible. We're going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip over and read verses 16 through 18. should be on the screen. Uh, here we go. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's go down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy 
like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now let me tell you, all that stuff that I just skipped, we're not actually going to skip it. Kyle's going to cover it next week. Um, we're going to continue on in our Sermon on the Mount series. This is a sermon where Jesus is directing and challenging those who say they're committed to his message, not just attracted to his miracles. You remember, a lot of people just follow Jesus, attracted to what he could offer them. Like, he, they want to see a miracle. Show us a miracle. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. We want to see something cool, right? But they would leave it at that, not really committed to the message of Jesus, because when it got hard, they would fall off the bus. They would jump off the bus. When it got too hard to understand or too hard to hear because they were convicted about it or whatever else it was, they would jump off the bus, right? So Jesus is specifically, he has called up the people who are committed to his message up onto this mountain to hear. This is how you think. This is how you act. This is how you live as people who are part of the kingdom of God. And you change the way you think. You let God change you from the inside out, and it will change the way you act. So let's walk through uh, this passage. Here's a big thing I want you to remember. Okay, if you're, if you're writing anything down, write this down. Great hypocrisy can be masked by great good. Great hypocrisy can be masked by great good. Now, through this, uh, I need you to bear with me because I'm going to define a lot of words. We're going to look at the Greek. I like kind of geeked it out on this message for some reason, just because it really is going to help us. I geeked it out. I greeked it out, really, uh, because this message is going to help us learning all these words and what they actually mean is going to help us figure out the deeper meaning behind what Jesus is actually trying to tell these people. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. When you look at that word, practicing your righteousness you look at that in the king james version and it literally says alms giving okay when you practice your alms giving now um jesus in that day he knows his audience right he knows he's speaking to primarily jews and um when it says alms giving okay that was one of the primary pillars of jewish piety now um I really, like, I know what the word piety means, but I looked it up just to be sure, okay? And dictionary.com, the best place for all uh, definitions, says this. The word piety means reverence for God or devout fulfillment of religious obligations, okay? So I want you to get that in your head, religious obligations 
fulfilling religious obligations. So in a young Jew's life, it would have been normal for them to learn these Jewish Jewish pillars of piety, these religious obligations at home, and then they would have been expected to practice them publicly, right? And so it would have been in a household. I mean, we all know that we hold the, uh, maybe you don't know this, but as parents, we hold the number one responsibility to teach and train our kids in the Lord, right? They held that same, uh, that same order of importance in the Jewish family. It was in the family where Jewish kids would learn how to follow God. And yeah, a lot of these things were following rules, were following, it was really following the religious obligations of the day to be pious young men and women, right? So they would have uh, normally heard these kinds of things. Now, let's go on. When you, almsgiving, practicing your righteousness, almsgiving in the Greek literally implies a generous giving to the poor that was one outward, compassionate, and merciful, okay? That doesn't sound bad, does it? But Jesus is saying, when you do this, when you practice your righteousness, when you give alms to the poor, do it this way. We're looking at a bunch of things here. Almsgiving or practicing your righteousness would have been a positive thing to a young Jew, to any Jew who was hearing this at that time. So let's move on. Verse 5. It says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Again, Jesus is not condemning prayer or even public prayer. Now see, prayer and public prayer, even three times a day in the morning, afternoon, and night, was another pillar of Jewish piety. And so prayer, along with almsgiving, practicing your righteousness, would have been positive things. And now Jesus is challenging the how you do those things. And then you look over in verse 16, it says, and when you fast, don't do it like this. Do it like this. And so Jesus expected that these things were going to happen. Fasting, praying, being generous to the poor, almsgiving. These were all very good things. These were all pillars of Jewish piety. But we've said over and over again in this Sermon on the Mount series that Jesus was after people's hearts. And so I'm going to say it to you again this morning. As you hear this and you think about all of the things that you are are doing, however good they are, Jesus is after your heart. I tell you what, if your heart motive is not right, what you do on the outside does not matter at all. You hear that? If your heart motive is not right, what you do on the outside does not matter at all. So all of this is Jesus' correct application of these three things in the life of a Jesus follower. Now, we look at this passage and we see that Jesus is, is, is challenging, right? He's challenging. When you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast, here's how you should do it. But the first three things that we have to ask, because we know that Jesus has set these three things up as positive things in the life of a Jesus follower. So here's three questions that you need to ask yourself. Number one, am I generous to the needy? Right? 
Are you even being generous to the needy? Generosity shows our thankfulness to God for what he has provided for us. Number two, am I praying regularly? Prayer is our regular and honest communication with God, first for his glory and for our help. And number three, am I fasting? If not regularly, am I fasting at all? Fasting is our way to show God our complete and undivided dependence on him in any and every situation that we face. I want to look over at Luke chapter 18. It's just a, a couple books over. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. 9 through 14. It's a little story, parable that Jesus told. Verse 9, this is key. Get verse 9 in your head. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And then here's the parable. This is Jesus talking. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went up to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, here's the deal. All the things that that Pharisee prayed, they're not bad stuff, right? It's a good thing to thank God for the change that he has made in your life. It's a good thing to thank God that, God, I am so thankful I don't live that life anymore. I'm thankful that you saved me out of that life, right? It's a good thing to give praise to God for saving you, for making you the way you are. Right? So nothing that the, the tax collector actually said, in essence, on paper, like we read, was a bad thing. It's not telling us, don't go thank God for these things in your life. That's not what it's saying. There's nothing wrong with these things. But look back at verse 9. It says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He's going straight for the matter in the heart, for the motive in the heart. You can say all of the good things that you want to say. You can pray all of the right things. You can act in all of the right ways. You can give to the poor. You can pray nonstop. And you can fast all you want. But if your heart motive is not right before God, what is it worth? So let's go deeper into that. You look back at Matthew 6. Look at verse 2 again. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be, what does it say, praised by 
others, that you may be praised by others. Now that in, in the King James Version, praised by others, reads this way, that they may receive glory from men. And that word glory in the Greek means this, the seeking of esteem or honor by the wanting of an honorable position. You remember how I acted to get Heather's attention. I wanted, I wanted, I was desperate for an honorable position in her heart. And so I did some ridiculous things, right? This is what the Pharisees were after, position, honorable positions from who? Was it from God or was it from men? God or men? Men. That's what they were after. And I got to check my heart because that's hard. That is hard. Because guess what? I see you guys all the time. I see people that I run into on my street every single day. It is really hard not to desire honorable position and glory from those people even more than I desire it from God. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, it's the, same, it's, the, it's the same end result. You are lifted up. But the process to be lifted up is to humble yourself. The process to be exalted is to remind yourself daily, I am only what I am because of God. It has got nothing to do with me. I'm not that great. I said that before. You are not that great. Right? Jesus wants us to practice the spiritual disciplines. And here's why they're called spiritual disciplines. I don't know if it actually says that in the Bible. But they're called spiritual disciplines because discipline is hard. Discipline is hard. Discipline is hard. But it's good. The end result to discipline in your life is always good. Whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's mental, whether it's in a relationship, whatever it is. The end result to disciplining yourself to a goal is always good. Jesus wants us to practice the spiritual disciplines of generosity. Almsgiving, practicing your righteousness. Generosity, prayer, and fasting. But he's concerned with your heart motive as you do it. Verse 6. Matthew 6 again, verse 6, says this, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who, is, who sees in secret will reward you. Now, in the King James Version, I'm going King James on you this morning. I'm going Greek and King James. What is wrong with me? I'll tell you. The King James Version says, literally, go into your room. It says closet. And in the Greek, that word means a place unseen. Here's the key. A place unseen by others. Right? Because there's places that I go in my house and, uh, and still do it with the wrong motive. Right? The key here is that my motive is not to be seen by others. My motive is not to get glory from men. My motive is not position. My motive is to go to a place in my home, un, 
seen. It doesn't have to be in your home. It could be at work. It could be in your car. It could be wherever. But it is unseen by others because I am wholly devoted to my time with God for what it is, not for what I want it to be. It needs to be my devotion to God because I want the glory for him and not for myself. You get where I'm going? You get what I'm saying? It's hard to think that stuff about ourselves. It's hard to challenge ourselves with that. We look at verse 1, verse 5, and verse 16. All tell us that those who practice these things for their own glory have already received their reward and will not receive a reward from God in heaven. The Pharisees were after position. They wanted to be seen by others, so they put themselves in a position in order to be seen by others doing these awesome things. So Jesus says, okay, you want it? You can have it. You want to be seen by others? Go ahead. You can be seen by others. You want glory from men? You got it. You want position from men? You can have it. But that's where your reward ends. And that's scary to me. You get how scary that is? I mean, if, if Jesus actually gave us everything that our hearts desired, you know where most of us would be? <laughs> I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be in church. But sometimes Jesus says, okay, you want it? I'll give it to you. But that's where it ends because you're not going to get a reward from my Father who is in heaven, which is the only reward that actually lasts for eternity. And that, should, that hits me. Verse 6, verse 4, 6, and 17 all tell us that when we do such things with the right heart motives to glorify God and not ourselves, God in heaven will reward what he sees done in secret. So a question that you need to ask yourself this morning, and I've been asking myself all week as I prepare for this thing, because you know when we preach up here, we don't, we're not just preaching to you. We're preaching to ourselves. I've had to preach this message to myself over and over and over again this week. And so I actually go away more convicted than you guys on a Sunday morning because I've heard it 18 times, right? So the question that you need to ask is, do I really want the glory of men? Like, do I really want the glory of men? Or can I humble myself enough to receive a reward from God. The glory of men is tempting. But please, here's a good prayer that you can that you can wake up and pray every single day. Like God, please test my heart motives today and bring to the surface anything that is impure. Right? Can you pray that this week? Can you pray that this week? Just ask God to reveal to you in your heart of hearts any impure motives. Anything that you're seeing wrong, ask God to test your heart on it. And trust me, he will. So if you're going to pray that, be ready for God to act. Because he wants to answer that prayer for you. And I want to end with this. And at this point, I'm going to have some people come up and help me. So if you're one of my helpers, what you have, I want you to put it on before you get up there. If you can, if, before you get up here, if you can actually see through it. <laughs> Sorry, I hadn't seen that one yet. Oh, man. My helpers are going to make their way up here. <laughs> oh, dear. 
And as they come up here, you guys can just stand up here some way so, people, so everybody can see you. Nice. Love it. Verse 2, 5, and 16. Jesus warns us to not be like the hypocrites. Okay, I'm going to move this way a little bit so you guys can see it. You see that? Now, granted, you, you pretty much know who these people are, but you can't see their faces, so it, it's, it serves a point. Jesus warns us not to be like the hypocrites. Now, when we think of the word hypocrite, what do we think of? When I think of the word hypocrite, before I, I researched this, before I looked into it, I thought of, now, a hypocrite is generally some, somebody that says something and does another, right? Uh, pretty much, is that, is that what you guys think of hypocrites? Somebody that says something and then they live another way, right? Now, to the hearing of a Jew on the mountainside, hearing Jesus say, do not do this like the hypocrites. When you pray, don't do it like the hypocrites. When you pray, when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites. When you do this, don't do it like the hypocrites. This is what they would have heard, okay? In the Greek, it was actually referring to Greek actors who were known for theater performances. The word hypocrite actually meant Mask wearer. You get, sorry, I can, I can see his eyes moving and it's freaky. See that? His eyes and the eagle's eyes are not moving. That's just creepy. The word hypocrite actually means mask wearer. And they had several masks for a ton of different roles that they would play. So a hypocrite did not just have one mask. They had a mask for every single different role that they would play. Now you see all these people standing up here, and I want you to think of like a a mascot at a baseball game, right? What's one thing in common with all these people standing up here wearing their masks? What can you not see? Their faces, right? I mean, you may know who they are because you know how they were dressed, right? But you can't see the real them. You can't see their faces. And because you can't see their faces, it's hard to identify who they really are. And when someone can't see your face, I know for me, it's a lot easier at Halloween to act like a complete fool when I have a mask on, right? I could do things that I otherwise would not do when I have a mask on because I'm not really revealing the real me and no one knows who it is. So when you're wearing a mask, you can do whatever the heck you want. Because it's not really you, right? And people may laugh at the mask. People may know you as the eagle man. (laughs) It's just going to stick from now on, right? Because he's standing right here. (laughs) But they're not going to know him for who he really is. These are the hypocrites. All the good, pious, religious acts in the world can only be Masks that we wear. The Pharisees wore the same masks as the hypocrites. They didn't actually have theater masks on their face. But for the, for the Pharisees, acts of generosity, acts of public prayer, and acts of fasting were the masks that they wore so that no one could actually see what was really inside. Do you get that? I mean, do you feel the weight of that? The problem is, 
that God sees right through the mask because God sees straight to the heart. You guys can sit down. I was going to have you like do some stupid, foolish stuff, but wearing the mask is good enough. So give these guys a hand. Thank you guys for that. So what is Jesus after? Jesus wants us to do these things. He wants us to pursue him. He wants us to pray. He wants us to fast. He wants us to be generous. But he wants us to do it with clean hands and a pure heart, a heart that acts to glorify God, a heart that acts to further his kingdom, a heart that does not have the motives of self-glory and glory to be seen by other men. And so the band is going to come back up and we're going to have an opportunity just to think about this. As we take communion, we get to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. But I want you to pray this. In the moments during this first song, before you come up, I want you to pray and just ask God to check your heart. I want you to pray and ask God to check your heart. Say, God, reveal to me any impure motives. Because I don't, you know what? There's, There's nothing that's, I mean, Jesus says, as often as you take the bread and the juice, Do this in remembrance of me, and you don't have to be perfect to come and take the bread of the juice, because that's impossible, right? But with Jesus' blood, he makes you positionally perfect before Jesus. But guess what? I've taken the bread and the juice before just to be seen by men. I've done it, right? And so I just... I just, let's start here. This is a perfect example of something that's good to do. It's good to come up and remember Jesus for what he has done for us. But this is the the most public forum that most of you will be in in this week to have a chance to even do anything remotely as a pious religious act, right? I don't see this as a pious, pious religious act. I see it as something that Jesus gave us to be in relationship with him. But it can be done with wrong heart motives. And so this is a perfect place for us to practice this. And just as the band starts playing, pray and ask God, God, reveal to me the impure motives of my heart. Because God, my deepest desire is what your deepest desire for me is. And that's just to love him and to desire his glory and not my own. So let's pray. God, I I do pray that for myself that you would reveal my heart to me in truth, that I would be able to tell the truth about myself this morning as I remember Jesus. I pray for every heart in this room that as we remember Jesus, you would reveal our motives to us, God, and and I repent of of impure motives um, because I truly want a reward from you who are in heaven Um, and it's tempting to want that from men but God I just want to connect with you in these moments and so reveal yourself to me now as we remember Jesus in his name we pray Every, every mask that you saw the people up here wearing was different. And so your mask 
is going to look different from the person standing next to you. Your, your mask is going to look different from mine, but at some point in our lives, everybody wears a mask. Everybody wears a mask. And a lot of times that mask may be the smile you put on when you come to church, right? Because you're really not doing okay. The mask may be um, the things that you do, the truth that you hide, the um, good religious acts that you perform. It's going to look different for everybody. My challenge for you this week is to just ask God what your mask is and don't be afraid to take it off because you are never more free than when you have nothing to hide. That's what real freedom is, is knowing what Jesus saved you from and then the ability to take off the mask because it's not for your own glory anyway. You don't need it. You don't need glory because you can't save yourself. The only glory that is real and that is deserved is glory given to God. So ask God to identify for you what your mask is and then just take the leap of faith to take it off. So let's sing this last song together that God would help us with that. around 